Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast in our lovely winter wonderland that is Portland, Oregon. It is snowing. It is white. It is oh so pretty. The icicles on the pines are beautiful and precious. Well, I'm sure it won't be snowing by the time this episode airs. But yes, at this time, it is a beautiful wonder winter wonderland here in Portland. Yes, it is. My name is Gabrielle Hawkowen. And as no doubt you have heard, I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and I am ready for the big day. What's the big day? I am going to tell you in just a few minutes here. But first, we wanted to let you know that we are counting up the entries for our spring program promotion where listeners could earn points for sharing our podcast with others. We will be announcing those winners Wait, where? Where will we be announcing those winners? Uh, social media. It's going to be okay. uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, if you win, I'll get in touch with you probably by the same manner in which you sent me your tally. Yeah. And yeah, I had to ask my social media manager. <laughs> no, we yeah. look forward to con- congratulating you and, of course, getting to hang out over video call with whomever the winner is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that'll that be fun, though. 
Oh, I think it's going to be tons of fun. We get to meet like I wanted to make that the prize for our little promotion because I'm ex- super excited to like get to meet a random listener. You know what though? It's probably not going to be a random listener. It's probably going to be like somebody that you're friends with. And then it's just going to be me chilling on this video call between you and one <laughs> of your friends. Yeah, but that could be f- I mean, I don't know. My my friends might like you more than they like me at this point. You know what? A lot of people like me more than they like other people. I I thought you were I seriously thought you were going <laughs> to say a lot of people like me more than they like you and I was going to be like fair, but also <laughs> I mean, why? I, I don't know. I think you're really likable. I didn't say you because I, you know what? Everybody is somebody. I, I feel like a lot of people really don't like me. Um, and that's their problem. You know what? I think there's more people that hate me than hate you. Yeah, that's probably true. Yes. Judging by the fact that I'm Jewish and like half the world hates us just no matter what. Just so, like for existing. Just for existing. Yeah, that's I'm pretty how it charming. Works. In general. You are pretty charming. Um, but yeah, we have been talking about the spring program. Um, yeah. And so let's see. We talked about the time of the year that the IFB churches do like a month-long push to generally make themselves look way more crazy to outsiders than they do at any other time of the year. <laughs> yeah. So that's so when we did talk, we talked about promotions. We talked about the IFB deciding to have a monster truck rally in the parking lot. Literally everything you could possibly do to try to get more people to come to church from banana splits to blowing up vehicles. Yeah. Which, of course, was not highly effective. Yeah, this to me seemed like it was absolutely bonkers. Like, it just seemed like these these churches, which, I mean, they don't have any money to begin with. They are out here just wasting money on stuff that's not really going to get them any more members. And mm, yep. I don't know, maybe maybe it'll just like, it'll get them members for like a week or two. But that's not sustainable. Like, can you imagine, like... Unless they can get Brett the Hitman heart to body slam Satan into inflatable pool of jello every single week, it's not going to keep the people coming. No, and it, it's perplexing to me because these off the wall promotions, they do attract people who stick around sometimes, but it's not, and I, I'm, I'm not at all trying to be mean here. But it's not the people who are going to raise a family in the church and make little IFB babies who are going to grow up in the church and then go off to Bible college. It's a, it, the people that do come for this kind of promotion are not the people who have good jobs and disposable income who are going to fund church activities or fund the new roof the building needs. Now, I, I firmly believe that church is for everybody Church should be accessible for people with disabilities. Church should be open and available to people who are poor. People, Church should be helping those who are down on their luck or needy. And nobody should feel like they're too good to sit next to somebody in church just because that person doesn't dress nice or that person doesn't have clean clothes or that person, you know, makes less money than they do. Like, right. like, of course, church is for everybody, but this promotional drive where they are trying to on purpose get more people for church, if you're going to have poor people in your church, you need rich people in your church to help those poor people, which is what we should be doing. 
yeah, as Christians I'm, or as just good people. I mean, I feel like the IFB should be targeting for membership, like people who are already Christians, but their current congregations maybe aren't as hardcore. So like trying to snare like the cowboys riding elephants is not an effective strategy. Like if these people want to be interested in like religion or Christianity to begin with, I mean, like the way I see, you know how Kanye West has like a church now? I mean, I think he's like guest hosts at Joel Osteen's church, or it might be at Hillsong or like some other major mega church. Yeah, I don't know. Like he has this Sunday service. But yeah, I know about Sunday for, yeah. service. Yeah. And so people come to see Kanye every week. And I think like how many people there would actually like go there because they're interested in religion and how many people are there because they want to see Kanye? Yeah, I mean, I see where you're I see where you're going with that. My question was also the like the question I had, though, is, is Kanye West there because he's interested in religion or is Kanye West there because he likes Kanye West music? I mean, I think that Kanye West, like, I think he just likes it when people listen to him talk. So if Kanye stopped hosting Sunday services and they got somebody else to, like, host him and host the service and, like, everything else was exactly the same, I don't think anybody would go. Like, do you think anyone would go? I, my opinion is that no, they wouldn't. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, so we talked about last week. <clears throat> Sorry, let me do that again. So we talked about last week how Jack Hiles, as far as anyone knows, was the inventor of the spring program, at least the way that the IFB performs the spring program now. He had a plan. He had a way that he thought this was going to work. And in the early years, this did really work for him. So Heil's plan, and I was thinking about this between the two, recording part one of this and recording this part, is that if you think back to the days of the 50s and 60s, the days of pretty much most people in America being some kind of Christian, no matter how casual they were about it, these are the same days when advertising was becoming a totally different thing than it had been before. So this is a time in America where people would sign up for a new bank account and be given a free toaster. Or you could save the proof of purchase from like a year's worth of laundry detergent and then you could turn it in and get a free iron. So if you think about these promotions kind of in the context of that, when advertising was doing that kind of thing, I think Kyle's plan made a lot more sense back in the day. Yeah, I mean, this has a real, but wait, there's more vibe to it. <laughs> yeah, but doesn't the whole IFB kind of have that vibe? In a way, Hiles intended for all of these people to come to church for whatever free promotion they were giving out. Free Bibles, free watches, help your coworker or your neighbor or your cousin win a grandfather clock. And it makes a lot more sense when you think about it like growing up when and where he did, there would be promotions on the radio of send in all the proof of purchase for a year's worth of margarine. And then if you can get enough of them over time, you could send off for like an entire set of China and crystal glasses, free Pyrex dishes. Like these advertisements were a really big thing at the time when Hiles was a kid. I mean, I'd go to church if they were giving out free watches, but only if they were good watches. I could not find a source on what kind of watches First Baptist Church of Hammond gave out when they did that promotion. Yeah. But anyway, I think 
the the understanding like that advertising trend because that's not a thing the, now that's not a thing people do now like i remember getting my first bank account when i was 18 and my grandpa asked me if they gave me anything because he was used to you start a new bank account and they give you a promotional item yeah so but that's not a thing anymore but i think if you think of Jack Hiles as being really close to the same age as, as our grandparents or people a little bit older than our grandparents, that maybe it makes more sense why he thought people would be happy to come to church for whatever free thing he was giving out and why he thought that people would be happy to come to church to help their friend or family member work towards the grand prize. Yeah. Okay. That, that makes way. Okay. That makes more sense. Um, but I feel like, so if you're IFB though, say you go to church, say you get a free watch, then like one month later though, you're dropping that free watch in the collection dish, right? Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a step to the plan that you're missing. Okay. But like, they're probably giving out the watches that people dropped in the collection disc, uh, like <laughs> last year, like, you know, like you could get, you could get your old watch, like you get a free watch. But like it's got your neighbor's wedding day engraved on the back in oh, his dear. wife's name. <laughs> so do you think though, do you think they'll ever give away the years that got shaved off the end of my life because of sleep deprivation and mal- malnutrition? Or did they just like keep those to like shoot into their pastors? <laughs> I mean, you know, a calorically restricted diet is linked to greater longevity. Oh so- good. Oh, yeah. okay. So I can actually have some more years to do Hiles Anderson unapproved stuff to get back the time that I lost there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> no. So the second part of Hiles' plan, the second part of his plan was discipleship. So he he really thought that these people would come to church for this promotion and then that they would get saved. And that when they when these people got saved, they would have all the people go down to the front of the church in an altar call and fill out a little card with their name and address. Uh, Visitor cards are really common in IFB churches. If you ever visit an IFB church, they will really do a lot of like social pressure to try to get you to fill out a visitor card. So when the, when the spring program was over church members. So here is the other half of Hiles plan because he was convinced that people would come for his dumb promotions Well, when the program was over, church members were supposed to be assigned several of those visitors from the little cards that they filled out when they came. And then the church members were supposed to show up at these people's houses. Mm. Yeah. So you could go over on Saturday morning during soul winning time or on Thursday night during the other soul winning time. But you could also go at random times throughout the week, basically just trying to catch these people at home. And then the church members would try to get themselves invited into the visitor's house. And then they would like grill them on, did you get saved when you came to church? Are you coming back to church? Do you want to have a Bible study? Like read the Bible to them and like really like put on the pressure. So the idea, the plan of how this was supposed to work is that these church members would just like force these visitors to become friends with them until the visitors gave up and stopped fighting it and just came back to church. I thought that Midwesterners weren't supposed to be rude though. Like this is the most obnoxious behavior that I can imagine. 
Like, do they really like not understand that they are imposing and that this is like a really uncomfortable situation to be in? I can tell you from experience that trying to do this, you don't understand fully, but you do feel rude. Like, you do understand that you are imposing and you hate being there almost as much as the people hate having you there. I fully attribute, like, 90% of my actual diagnosed anxiety disorder to this kind of thing. Like, I feel like when you are, as a teenager, you're forced to break these social norms and suffer through this kind of very awkward, awful situation as a child. Like, I think it just, like, I think that, it, that it's a recipe for, for having anxiety disorder later in life. I think I just, like, permanently miswired my fight or flight reflex. Has anybody ever, like, just straight up told you, though, that you need to leave? Oh, yeah, like all the time. That's how I learned like half the cuss words I know from people cussing me out and telling me to get off their property. And these are just people that you met and then you go over to their house and they're like, oh, hi, yeah, come on in. And then you keep going and then you keep going and they're like, stop coming over here. Yeah. When I was like. Like how many times do you have to go over there before they tell you to leave? Totally depends on the person, man. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't want to compromise anybody's anonymity so i want to kind of be careful how i phrase this but there were people in my church in in st louis area when my dad was a pastor that i am a hundred percent convinced that they were only in church because church people kept showing up at their door and would not stop that they eventually just were like fine we'll just show up every sunday morning fine um, I think, I think what's, what's interesting is like, I was doing this by myself. So, I mean, it's weird enough to have adults show up at your door, right? And be like, yeah, we should read the Bible to you and let you come to church with us. Okay. What, would it be weirder or worse to have a teenager showing up at your door? Because I was like 14 or 15 and I was out doing this stuff by myself. And you would be going to like adults' houses. Yeah. And I would have like another 12-year-old girl with me who I was responsible for and be like showing up to adults' houses like, hi, can I come into your house? I want to read the Bible to you. I want to get you to come back to church with me. Like, is that worse than having adults show up? That is so weird. That is way worse. I feel like it is because because people would people would like feed us and like ask us questions like now that i look back on it they were definitely trying to like are you safe or like are you wearing a wire like do you want us to take you to the police station are we on a prank show right now no i had multiple people ask me if they could drop me off at the police station like when i was doing this as a, as a young kid because they were like full they they realized like what was going on they realized i was in a cult and they were like can we break you out today are you interested in breaking out of a cult today (laughs) yikes but i like but i certainly don't blame anybody who just like told it straight up told us to leave because that's what i would do and i feel like it would be the world's creepiest thing to have a literal 14 year old who can't even drive show up to your house and like pretend to be an expert on jesus how are you getting to people's houses they would drop us off so my youth pastor would drop us off in a neighborhood and then he would be like do every house on these four streets and meet me back at this corner in like an hour and a half 
This is extremely sketchy. This is this is. I mean, yeah. So this is this is ske- what what I'm what I'm interested in though is I can understand the IFB brain, like the IFB logic of of why it would make sense for them to tell adults to do this. I cannot figure out why they thought that children were qualified to do this because that is so dangerous to send yeah. your child. Like some of the neighborhoods, some of the neighborhoods that I went to. Uh, and, and and why a child would be qualified to tell somebody about this. So let me tell you what I'm saying here. I think this kind of behavior did make sense at one point in history. Like people do not give a crap to come to church for a free watch now in 2021. And they definitely do not give a crap if they're helping their weirdo coworker win a prize. If people want to watch by next Sunday, they will just order it on Amazon or eBay while they're on the toilet. But these promotions made a lot of sense back in the day when getting free stuff was the thing. When people got a toaster for opening a bank account. At one point in history, I think this made sense. And I think at that same point of history is when it made more sense to go to church to help someone you vaguely knew win a prize. And I think that at the same point in history, if a well-dressed couple from the church you just visited last week turned up at your house on a Thursday, that you would be a lot more likely than people are now to invite them in, or at least to not just kick them off your property. Does that make, does that make sense? I think it's the same. Yeah. I think it's the time in history that made these things work. No, I know, because like growing up in the '90s, it was like you know, stranger. You never talk to anybody that right. you don't know. Like, and so, yeah. so interestingly, this is how Vic and, and Jenny Nischik became a part of First Baptist Church. Um, so the Colstons, uh, that Colston family, knew them and visited with them, and then brought them to church, and then this whole scenario played out, and they converted Vic and Jenny Nischik into church members and then before you knew it five or year five or ten years went by and then Jenny was presumably a cult leader's concubine I'm trying to wrap my head around like an adult married couple like being an adult married couple that is like used to a certain amount of freedom and then they get dragged into the IFB with these denim skirt wearing weirdos and being told you can't drink like you know, being told you can't watch TV, being like you can't do anything. I think the Nischicks in particular were already Christians. So they were probably already on the conservative side to begin with. And then it was just that they had to give up like, women wearing pants and going to movies and, and some of the things that are easier to give up. And they both really idolized Hiles. And I think that that Hiles' personality and the possibility of earning his praise or his respect, I think that's another factor that made it easier for people to conform. Or maybe they just wanted that grandfather clock. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get I get that it sounds really crazy now to come to church for these reasons or to have strangers at your house trying to get you to come back to church. Like in 2021 – this sounds absolutely insane. But the only conclusion that makes sense to me is that this must have worked a lot better in the 60s and 70s. I think it must have just been a different world back then. 
The issue is for me, being a church kid in the 2000s, I was told that the same methods should still work perfectly. And if the method isn't working for you, it's your fault. Of course, it's so obvious to me now that this method is completely inappropriate and off the wall and never, ever going to work any time in my lifetime ever. But as a teenager, I was working this method exactly the way that Hiles intended when he put it together, but it wasn't working for me. So I was just wallowing in self-hatred and guilt because I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. And I think this leads to an interesting phenomenon that I was picking up on while I was on my way out of the IFB. I think that the recession in 2008 was a really big turning point for a lot of IFB churches because the financial problems hit so hard and just everybody was struggling. What I saw happening around me at that time was a lot of churches going out of business, whole congregations being displaced. Maybe they'd lose their building and they would have to meet in somebody's house, or they would just disperse and join other IFB churches. People would have to drive longer distances to find a nearby IFB church. And around the same time, people were realizing that this whole idea of door-to-door soul winning and trying to get visitors and then go back to their house and harass them into coming back to church wasn't working very well. People didn't want to admit that this method was just completely futile because it was Hiles way. And even though he was dead, people couldn't let his ways go because Hiles told everybody that the specific practice of going door to door, knocking on the door and trying to get people saved, Hiles told people that that was specifically commanded by God. So they couldn't stop doing the door to door thing because they really believed it was a specific commandment from God. But churches tried to also branch out into other methods of getting new members. You know what this reminds me of? What? Okay, do you remember that episode of The Office where Michael decides to go around and make sales calls with gift (gasps) baskets? Oh my God, yes. That is like so 100% this. Yeah, and they're all just like, oh... Why are you here? Why, like, no one does this anymore. Like, we, sorry, we dropped you for this other company because they have a better streamlined ordering process with a website. And then mm-hmm. he just couldn't handle it that it was changed. Right. And then the GPS yeah. <laughs> put his car in a lake, which is one of my favorite scenes. No, that's what, that's exactly what I'm getting here. I think that is so, so accurate because you just feel. You feel like doing this, like you feel like your heart is in the 50s, but you understand, like, you understand deep down that it's never going to work, but you feel like you can't stop because you you believe it's a commandment. So what are you going to do? You know, just suffer through it. Right. So the result of this, though, I think that people started to catch on to the fact that this was just not going to work. And I mentioned in the first family series, I think in the Scop episode, about how Scott was accused of being modern and liberal because he put in a coffee bar at the church bookstore. So modern and liberal is basically anything that Jack Hiles didn't do. Yeah, pretty much. But Jack Scott made a lot of attempts at modernization. He built that new auditorium that was really top of the line at the time. He set up a church website that looked professional and not like a used car dealership. He had graphic design work done for the church, so promotional d- materials didn't look like someone Xeroxed them in a basement. He wore nicer suits with more modern cuts, and he encouraged other people to do that, too. He encouraged people who were going to be in singing groups on the platform to dress in a more modern style. 
He did a major reboot of the college promotional materials. He updated the public areas of the college building, really just poured money into the the facade and the outward appearance of the Hiles Anderson building that wasn't, but not into the actual, you know, safety or livability of the dorms. But he made a big deal. Like he got rid of the staff's car leases. He made all the staff vehicles more modern. I think before they were leasing Buicks and he upgraded to something else. But his staff car from the church was a cherry red charger. Of like course he did it was. All of the right. <laughs> but that is like the ultimate boomer mobile. It is. And that was like, and he yeah. like had pictures made with his like cherry red charger. Like he was super into his charger. Um, but he did all of this stuff to make the church appear more 21st century. And all of this was an attempt to attract the kind of people that the church needed financially. He had a team of people that he would send out to other churches to figure out how they could modernize too. And if you think about the what I was talking about with the recession, like people losing members and churches having to merge and churches losing their buildings if they didn't own their building and all of this stuff, like he would send out a team to other churches to try to help them survive this time as well. And the reason that Scott got all this flack about liberalism is that he was leading a one-man crusade to change the public face of the IFB and make it more appealing and again, I'm not trying to be rude, but to make it more appealing to normal people. And, I, and I'm not trying to be mean by saying normal. No, you're not being mean. These IFB people are weirdos. But like what he was trying to, uh, what he was trying to attract was like young professionals, young couples. And, and this worked for like a year because churches who modernized the way that Scott wanted them to, they did tend to attract some young professionals, young couples, the kind of people who had the potential to revitalize the IFB and reform it into something that might last for 50 more years. So I'm sure that the older church members, like, they look at this and they see, you know, this is some young blood, you know, and then they're salivating over them like a cartoon hobo over a pie on a windowsill, you know. <laughs> there were a lot of church meetings that I've been in about how not to make visitors feel like fresh meat. Oh, was it like in Finding Nemo where they're like, fish are friends, not food? <laughs> uh, not that far off, yeah. Yeah. But what what happened was the end result of this modernization attempt that was started by scop was that these people were initially fooled by the nice graphic design and the coffee and the inclusion of a an occasional christian contemporary song that was rearranged to not have a discernible rhythm and then sung in church church members at least trying to dress within a decade of what was in style uh, people were taken in by that at the very beginning of scop's kind of crusade for modernization and people would become new members because of this this new face on the IFB. But eventually, and, and they would it would follow that three to six month rule that I've talked about before, how you know you'll be given responsibilities and invited to do things and very much sucked in within that first three to six months. But what happened was about six months to a year into these people being members of an IFB church, these like young professionals who hadn't been IFB before, they would start to realize 
They would be almost fully engaged. They would be almost all in. They would bump up against either the racism or the sexism going on in the church. So many of these people, personally, I saw almost become committed IFB members. But when it when push came to shove, when they had to make a decision, they just they couldn't stomach being told that the wife was supposed to be submissive to the husband. They just couldn't stomach that she was really supposed to stop wearing pants. Or they were willing to bend and, like, let the wife wear skirts and dresses all the time and, like, not, you know, let her wear pants anymore. But they had a 12-year-old active daughter who was on school sports teams, and they were not willing to make their daughter switch to wearing dresses. Or they were not willing to let their daughter hear these messages that were very sexist. So... They would be so close. These people would like get taken in by the by the nice look of the new face of the IFB. And they would be so close to fully committing, but they would bump up against something that just and then they just couldn't stomach it. And and I'm not talking about it just being the wife who like wouldn't submit. I think it was just as often the husband who was like, you know what? No, I'm not gonna let someone talk to my wife that way. My wife is her own person and I don't want her feeling obligated to do this stuff. I can imagine though, because like I know plenty of people, you know, who are devoted Christians, they're religiously conservative, but they also view women as fully functioning humans and they speak out against racism. So clearly like these new promotions aren't working to get young people. So how are they going to pack the pews? So these promotions weren't working for the middle class adults that they were trying to attract. But the church still needed to have hundreds of people show up to make their goals for the spring programs. The thing is that if you had a goal and attendance goal of 300 people for the spring program last year, it would be a major loss of face to only make your goal 250 this year. So this, if last year's goal was 300, this year's goal better be at least 325 because it's always got to be increasing. It's a major embarrassment to cut your goal down. And it's a major embarrassment not to make your goal. So they had to find hundreds of people somewhere. They needed hundreds of people to get saved because remember, it's all about the numbers. Like they have to have this certain amount of numbers or it's, or it's very embarrassing for the church and for the pastor. So where were they going to get these numbers? If families and adults, if it wasn't working, getting it that way? Well, the solution, as usual, was bus kids. They needed to attract absolute hordes of bus kids. And they did that with some of the weirdest promotions that you can imagine. So I'm trying to imagine, like, so what's the weirdest promotion that I can think of? Oh, please go ahead. I want to hear you design a bus promotion. Okay. So it's like the IFB is from the seventies, right? Like, or are all yeah. of their stuff is stuck in like the seventies? Stuck in like seventies and eighties. Yeah. Seventies and eighties. Okay. Yeah. So like if you come to church, I don't know, you win a velvet painting of Jesus in a leopard print bathrobe. Oh, dear. That's like the most seventies thing that I can think of. I don't know. Like, yeah, but you're, what you're missing. There's no animal cruelty. Animal cruelty. Yeah, these bus promotions and involve. Promo- a, yeah, they involve a lot more animal cruelty than you might think. This is this is one <sighs> IFB story that's really stuck with me throughout the years. 
apparently one year for an Easter promotion, and this is like in the 70s or maybe early 80s, a bus captain at First Baptist Church of Hammond decided to give away baby chicks to every child who came in his whole bus division. So he ordered, I don't even know, hundreds or thousands of baby chicks to give away to every kid who rode the bus to church from Chicago. And this went, yeah, about as well as you would imagine. You can tell that I am imagining it going absolutely terribly. Yeah. I, so mm. so they got the chicks given to the kids and that went okay. But there were a lot of chick baby chicks that, you know, fell asleep. By which I mean they just didn't survive the bus ride. Uh. So the division leader just threw them all in a dumpster. And, like, not a dumpster on church property, like a Dunkin' Donuts dumpster or something. And apparently either PETA or the ASPCA got wind of it, and then they sued the church over it. This is extremely upsetting. Oh, this is nothing. They didn't kill the baby chickens on purpose. I mean, on purpose being the the operative phrase here. What are you implying? So is there another time that they killed chickens on purpose? So what I'm referencing, no, they didn't kill any chickens. What I'm referencing is probably the most famous bus promotion of all time. And I guarantee half of our listeners already know where I'm going with this. I'm pretty sure every IFB church does this one. And yes, this does involve killing a living thing on purpose. It's a goldfish, uh, but it, it does involve killing a goldfish in a really nasty way. So if that's not for you, go ahead and skip a few minutes. Okay. Uh, I think Goldfish Sunday is probably the most common spring program promotion of all time. And this is something that I was seeing from the time I was a tiny kid, but I know that they were doing this at Hiles Anderson for many years before I was ever born or thought of. So what this involves, the basic promotion is that every kid who comes on the bus to go to church will get a free goldfish. So the bus captains or whoever from the church has to go to a pet store and just buy hundreds of goldfish. Like a lot of people will go to bait stores or they'll have their own little sources for getting super cheap goldfish and they will get little plastic bags and the little, you know, the little net thing to catch fish with. Okay. I want to bring something up because maybe, I don't know, this just has something to do with our vast. I like, we had such different upbringings. Like I knew from a young age that if I decided to, for whatever reason, bring home a live animal that this animal would not stay like I was not to bring home live animals. Yeah, but do these the kids that are bus kids, their parents signed a form that their kid could go to church, possibly across state lines with strangers. Like their six year old was like, Hey mom, can I get on a bus with these people we don't know and be gone for four to six hours? And the mom was like, Yeah, sure, whatever. So these kids probably took the fish home and put it in a mason jar and fed it chicken nuggets. And I don't know if the parents ever knew it was there or not. This Okay, this whole concept of busing kids to church is so disconcerting to me. It's just, dude, it's just weird to begin with. But like giving them goldfish. I mean, I get it. And I'm sure this just seems like some kind of bizarro world alternate is, dimension. This is so weird to me. I like... All of the normies listening right now are having my <laughs> same exact reaction. Like, what the f***? Yeah, and all of us who grew up IFB were like, oh, yeah, this was just our lives. Like, this is just like, this is like this goldfish that was doing this in like 2005. Just like. 
This is so It's wild. 2005, you know, and, and you know, I'm 12 years old and I'm going to ask all these kids if they want to come to church with me so I can give them a free goldfish. Okay, but like these kids, okay, so, but you're giving the goldfish away. I don't see any like cruelty in that. Oh, we're, we're getting there. Oh, so, God. So the bus captain or whoever is going to pick up all these fish on a Saturday night and... There have been a lot of stories about bus workers leaving the fish outside without checking the weather and the fish water freezing solid, which obviously does not bode well for the goldfish or for the success of your promotion the next day. Uh, But assuming that someone doesn't manage to kill the fish out of negligence, the next day, every kid who comes to church will just be handed a little plastic baggie with a live fish in it. Like, I don't know. Sometimes they'll give out like a a fishbowl and a little container of fish food to whoever brought the most visitors or something. And of course, these are goldfish and goldfish are pretty fragile. So it's just unavoidable that out of like 200 fish in this giant styrofoam cooler, probably like, you know, two thirds of them to three quarters of them survive the night and live long enough to be taken home by a kid. But the ones that die of natural causes are, in my opinion, the lucky ones. And I'm again warning you, this next part may actually make you sick. Just FYI. So the big draw, the promotion to get all these kids to come to church wasn't actually about going home with their very own goldfish. That was kind of the secondary thing. The big draw was that they would set an attendance goal. And if they met that goal, the bus captain would have to swallow a live goldfish. Oh, Yeah, so if the bus route usually had like 50 kids come to church every week, the captain would tell the kids that if they had 100 kids on the bus on Goldfish Sunday, he would swallow a live goldfish in front of all of them. And the kids absolutely loved this because kids like gross things. And then they would also tell the kids, and this this is the part that got to me, that if they had 125 kids on Goldfish Sunday, that the bus captain would have to chew up the goldfish and then show them that he had chewed it up live and then swallow it. Aww. Yeah, and this Aww. is like... This is like a long-standing Hiles Anderson college tradition. Like, people do this. In the next month or so, hundreds of Hiles Anderson boys and hundreds of bus captains across the country will do this. I've seen this happen I don't even know quite a few times. That's oh, this is I am disgusted. This I mean is I disgusting. am too. Yeah, but this is something <sighs> this was like a yearly part of my childhood. And now as an adult I am just completely shell shocked to think that I watched that as a kid. As as you may be surprised to hear, I have actually heard of people having to swallow live goldfish before. Oh, really? Where does this happen outside the IFB? So when I was in college, a friend of mine was dating a guy on the baseball team. And this is true. Uh, when I, At least when I was a student at Willamette University, the baseball team would haze new team members by making them swallow a live goldfish. I just think that's a terrible thing to do. Yeah, but baseball dudes are weird. Yeah, I mean, I assume they also had a case of, like, I don't know, what, Natty Light to ease the pain? No, it's a, a Keystone. Yeah, okay. Nobody actually drinks Natty Light. So people tried to get me to commit to swallowing a goldfish on my bus routes in high school and college. People, I I don't know how to quantify the amount of pressure that put me, people put me through. Like shoving them in your face? This. Yes. I cried. 
Like I, I, I couldn't do it. I would like have panic attacks every single time this this promotion came around. Oh, because like I feel like that's so cruel, and I didn't want to do it, and that's gross. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want to. I don't want to. But I literally, I would have terrible panic attacks and cry on the bus every time this promotion came around because people would pressure me to do it, and I didn't want to. Um, if you're a male bus worker at Hiles Anderson, it is social suicide to refuse to do it. I know very, very few men who graduated from Hiles Anderson without doing it. And they definitely got called the F slur by other dudes for quite a while. Because they wouldn't swallow a live goldfish? Yeah. Or chew up my... a live goldfish? Ugh. I mean, well, yeah, one of my boyfriends at Hiles Anderson, I know Noah did it. And I just, I just couldn't look him in the eye for a while. Well, at least the kissing was banned, so you didn't have to kiss him afterwards. That's that is a that is a blessing. That's true. No, a lot of married women in the IFB refuse uh, to kiss their husbands for like a week after they do it. I've I have not experienced this, thank God. But I've heard that the taste lingers, especially if you have to chew it. It's going to be like a week. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that makes sense. I wouldn't want to kiss my husband if he's got a fishy taste lingering in his mouth. I don't get the impression that's a problem that IFB wives face that often. No, I wouldn't think it would be. I just remember, though, being so horrified by this entire practice as a kid. I am pretty sure I've cried every time I've seen it done. I just I think it's so awful. I just think it's so awful. So I was going to say, before we move on too much, that I do believe that this is hazing. Oh, it's absolutely hazing. Well, I think that this is one more example of how the men that rise to leadership in the IFB, like the men who go through Hiles Anderson and other Bible colleges and become pastors and become the future leaders of the IFB, those men are molded in a culture of abuse. And that leads them to think that they are qualified or even obligated to abuse the next generation. Like I knew a certain man in the IFB and I could never figure out, he had like such a reputation for being so mean to the people who worked for him in the ministry. And I could never figure out why, because he was like a nice guy if you didn't work for him. But when you were working for him, he was just mean, just cruel. And years and years later, I found out that that man had worked for two of the most notoriously mean and nasty IFB leaders. They were known for cussing out their staff, known for throwing things at their staff, known for just being terrible. Like you do not want to work for a brother so-and-so. And it suddenly just all made sense to me. It was one of those light bulb moments because I realized that this guy who had a reputation for being so mean, he was treated that way by his leaders. And then he passed down that same abuse to the people who he was in charge of 10 years later. And I, I only mention this because it's part of the culture of abuse. And while it can be something that's a little bit more silly and a little bit more college bro, like swallowing a goldfish, this is a symptom of a culture that says, well, you get abused and you put up with it. And then when you've done your time, you get to abuse others. Like you do your time and then you're in charge and it's your turn to do whatever you want. So like, was this an effective strategy though? Like, did, so did the goldfish promotion actually work? Oh, yeah, very much. This is an extremely effective promotion. Like, I do think Ooh. that it's a hazing thing, but the primary reason they keep doing it year after year is that it's consistently a great way to get a ton of kids on the bus and bring them to church. I'm trying to imagine, though. I'm trying to imagine the Venn diagram of kids who are interested in the words of Jesus 
but also want to see a guy swallow a goldfish like that just <laughs> like who is that kid that wants to that that's wants to see both of those things this is just yeah. so bizarre to me i don't think it has anything to do with the kid being interested in jesus honestly i think maybe 10% of the kids are but there are messages there are facebook threads and twitter threads that you can find with dozens or hundreds of former First Baptist Church of Hammond bus kids talking about their experiences being picked up in Chicago as a small child and taken to the Indiana Church, which is what they they all call it in Chicago. It's the Indiana Church. I've read through quite a few of these Facebook threads, Twitter threads, and most of what I see is kids saying that they, they went for the candy or they went for the prizes or they went because they were bored or because the bus workers were nice to them. The bus programs, they have a lot of, while they're on the way to church, the songs that you might sing on the bus, it's like the same songs that you might sing on the bus on the way to band performances or songs that you might sing around a campfire just made to be about Jesus. They give out tons of candy and donuts. Like they stuff these kids with sugar. And then they take them to junior church and there's more singing and there's a sermon that's made to be interesting to kids and there's skits and there's costumes and they give them more candy and they give them more toys. And if the kid's too poor to eat lunch, some bleeding heart, sweet Hiles Anderson kid gives the kid their lunch. And if the kid doesn't have a coat or kid doesn't have shoes, some bus worker will buy them a coat or shoes. Like bus workers were literally barely paying their Hiles Anderson bills will go without lunch for a week to put $5 in to buy this poor kid a coat Wow. A lot of these kids are like these Hiles Anderson bus workers take it so seriously in a very wholesome, like, 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 no, like, no, you're not doing the right thing. But boy, do they think they are. And they really do care. And Mm. a lot of these kids are extremely poor. A good percentage of them have parents who work a lot or parents who have substance abuse issues and it's it's really easy to buy their love, especially when you're a Hiles Anderson student and you're totally committed to helping these kids. It's just it's so predatory, though. I like yeah. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know how. How is it legal to transport other people's kids across state lines on mass like for any reason? I have no idea other than the mom signed a per- permission slip. <sighs> I mean, we took them other places, too. It wasn't just a church. The spring program was definitely known so that you would have an Easter egg hunt or you would have a treasure hunt. Um, you'd, dr- you'd just drop off like several hundred to a thousand bus kids in an open field and just let them go hog wild and beat each other up over Easter eggs or toy soldiers or whatever crappy plastic prizes. You just you put one Easter egg out there with a $20 bill in it and then you let them all swarm the field until someone finds the cash. One of these treasure hunts became really famous because Ray Young, who we have not talked a lot about on the podcast, but he will he'll be back. He's one of the he's a long term staff member at First Baptist Church of Hammond. They took all the kids out to have a treasure hunt, but they gave the kids like sack lunches first, like before the treasure hunt. So they gave the kids like a lunch with a a sandwich and some chips and a coke and an apple in it okay and the kids all decided they didn't want the apple so they threw them all at ray young 
which is really really funny if you know ray young but these uh, these kids are, are like a bit rough around the edges so they're like yeah these are kids who would like be in like big brother is that what that's called big brother yeah yeah big brothers like mentorship big sisters. yeah yeah like boys like, and girls are... club that yeah these yeah these kids it's that target demographic so they all decided they didn't want apples to just threw them at the bus workers well were they red delicious apples I don't know. If they were red delicious apples, I'm with you. I would throw a red delicious apple at anybody who gave me one. Oh, I will make sure I don't give you one of those. Please don't. No, so Hit one you of right my in the belly. <laughs> Please don't. Well, I mean, if if you want to help evict Chuck at this point, at this point, I'm like, okay, are we done here? That's a wild story. No, okay, yeah, but there's better ones. Um, Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Gavrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. One of my favorite bus promotions, which maybe was one of the most dangerous, was Zoo Sunday. Is this like a Harambe situation? It could have (laughs) been. It really could have been. One of these, like you could. So, so what? You 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 took these kids to the zoo. We would take a busload of children to the Chicago Zoo, which is one of the largest free zoos in the United States. Yeah. And one 18-year-old bus worker, which at one point was me, was responsible for keeping five kids or more safe. And they would drop you off at the front of the zoo and be like, be back at this spot in 90 minutes. If you're late, you're going to get left. And then... You as the 18-year-old bus worker would take your little group of 5 or 10 or 15 kids and try to see as many animals as you could in 90 minutes. I mean, the kids did love it. They always wanted oh, to see sure. the cows. But yeah, these are like inner city Chicago kids. So they've never seen cows before. I love going to the zoo. I mean, the I do too. A great time. Wow. But like they always wanted to see like the domestic, like the farm animals, because these are inner city kids who've never seen live farm animals before. They're not excited. I see. I wanted to go see like the elephants. I 
What's interesting, though, I think the taking kids to the zoo is actually a kind of fun promotion. And, you know, these are kids who their parents might not necessarily do that for them. They might have these kids might have a single mom who works like three jobs and just doesn't have the time. You know, she's doing everything she can to keep the family together and she might not have time to take her kids to the zoo. Would they actually like leave people behind if they didn't get back in time? So I think it was an empty threat, but I didn't want to find out. <laughs> I was 18 and I had zero life experience and like $20 in my checking account. I did not want to find out what would happen. If and you I had to pay granted. $2 out of that $20 as a uh, tithe. <laughs> no, this was post tithe. Oh, wow. But I did not want to find out what would happen. If I got stranded in Chicago with five children who were not mine, whose last names or addresses I had no access to and whose parents probably did not speak English. Um, it, my Spanish is not that good. <laughs> so, yeah, I did not want to find out what would happen if I got stranded in Chicago with kids who weren't mine. This seems like such a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, Jesus got, Christ, dude. Kids got misplaced on church property all the time. This is so ridiculous. Um, so before a kid got off our bus, and when I was when I was a bus worker at First Baptist Church of Hammond, before a kid got off our bus in the morning, we would write the the route number on the back of their hands. So I, my route was forty five dash five, but we would write the the number on the back of their hands so that when they inevitably wandered off, someone would. So when when the kid like inevitably wandered off. Someone would return them to our bus before we left the church property. I was totally used to having to like shuttle kids back to the right bus and pick up our kids from who knows where. I just wasn't willing to do it in Chicago, not knowing where I was with no smartphone and no cash. This is okay. This is just so wild to me that these are just like other people's like, I mean, did you do anything that with these kids that wasn't extremely ill-advised. So how, how ill-advised would you consider horseback rides? Like a horse that's being led on a rein by an experienced professional around an enclosed track. Okay. That seems like a lot of fun, especially if you're a kid. I've done that before as a kid. Yeah. That was another like really popular bus promotion back in the day. Uh, I never got to participate in that one. But I can tell you about my favorite bus promotion ever, which was something my dad did when I was a little kid. I can't remember if the person was a church member or if it was a family member or a friend of a church member, but we were somehow connected to someone who had a hot air balloon. And this was in Iowa, so which is like a very big flat state. So there, so hot air balloons is a, is a hobby that people have. But my dad gave every bus kid who came to church a hot air balloon ride. So it was just like it was the balloon was anchored on church property. And we would just go up like maybe, I don't know, maybe 150 feet up and then stayed up there for a couple minutes and then came back down and they got the next batch of kids. But it was so fun. And I'm the only person that I have met so far who can say that I've been up in a hot air balloon. That sounds like a ton of fun. That that's Wow. It really was. I, I that is one of I thought one of the best bus promotions ever. This is okay. This sounds fun, but this also sounds extremely expensive. A lot of things can be donated for this kind of activity. I think my dad must have known the owner of the balloon somehow, 
he'll text me when this episode comes out and, t- and let me know. <laughs> he also got a massive crate of double mint gum donated from the double mint factory one time. So we had double mint Sunday and there were prizes for people who brought a visitor because they're like, you're double for the day. Get it? My dad also oh. got, yeah, he also got Blue Bunny ice cream donated, Sour Warheads, like a lot of these simpler promotions that were really fun and not at all traumatizing, which was nice. Yeah. And so like, this is what, this is over like five weeks. Yeah. I think five weeks is the most common length. Four weeks or six weeks wouldn't be unheard of. Um, It all depends on what the pastor wants to do. And it's all leading up to the big day, which is the last day of the spring program. So often, but not always, the big day will fall on Easter Sunday because Easter is always already a very popular day for people to go to church. So they want to capitalize on that attendance boost. And the whole thing about the big day is that the pastor will, will set a stretch goal, like a really, really big goal for church attendance on that day. So I think on the first uh, installment of this episode, we were talking about uh, a hypothetical mid-sized IFB church, maybe 200 to 250 attendants on a normal Sunday morning. If 250 is your average Sunday morning, I think a typical big day goal would be 400 or 500. Whatever the goal is, it's probably a little bit above the official capacity of your building. So you're just really trying to squeeze in as many people as possible. Yeah, it's another one of those scenarios where you, you, it's good to have a good relationship with local like law enforcement and fire departments. <laughs> My church growing up always had to put several rows of extra chairs at the back of the church. I don't think we went as far as other people did to physically cram people in. But there were a few times we filled every seat in the church and then we had an overflow room in the fellowship hall where people could watch the church service on closed circuit TV. So we did really, really pack that place out a few times. The big day is, the big day is a really big deal. If you were going out soul winning five hours in a normal week, you would go out 10 hours the week before the big day. If you were competing in the contest for that jet ski or grandfather clock or whatever, your points would usually count double on the big day. The choir would have special numbers planned. It was like a real occasion at an IFB church. So we're pulling out all the stops here. Definitely. If there was a big promotion, like, I don't know, everyone who comes gets entered into a raffle for a car, it was always going to be on the big day. They also like to have it coincide with Easter because they can have an Easter egg hunt for the kids, which is popular, and then more families come and bring their kids. And it would be called, so it would be called the big day, not like the Easter service. Because calling phrasing, it the big day, that's weird. The phrasing would be like, our big day this spring is going to be on Easter Sunday. Okay, but that just feels weird to me grammatically. Like, I've got a, this whole like spring program big day, it feels really weird, like game showy. Like, you remember uh, the, the episode where we talked about the Super Bowl, where we talked about how they're not allowed to say Super Bowl on. TV ads, they're only allowed to say the big game. That's what they say, and they mean the Super Bowl. That's what this yeah. feels like to me. It's oh, so the, weird. With the big day? Yeah. Is it no, like- I get that. 
I mean, but they, it is kind of a game show situation. Like they do game show stuff. You know how they have games on The Price is Right or on Supermarket Sweep? Like they have different like mini games that people play. Yeah. I mean, they they do stuff like that in church. Like the the big wheel or spin the wheel type games are pretty popular. They will literally have people coming up to spin the wheel before the sermon. It's like the when we were working at that car dealership when they had that big like prize wheel. Exactly like that, yeah. But like in a church service, in the middle of a church service. Uh, but that but is- the IFB, they're not wicked like those worldly churches who have stage lights. Those churches are trying to bring entertainment into God's house, and that's bad. That's this is so strange. Also, gambling is bad, but spinning a big wheel in church is fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Huh. I'm sorry. This is just strange. This makes I mean, zero sense to me. It is. What I, I don't know, though, if it's meant to be insular or if it's one of those things where the IFB understands that this isn't exactly usual, but they don't have a concept of how weird it really is to outsiders. So there's a scripture verse that gets used a lot in the IFB, and it talks about Christians being a peculiar people and how that has been interpreted in the modern IFB. And by modern, I mean roughly in my lifetime in the last 25 to 30 years is that we should be odd. We should be weird. We should be peculiar. And if we don't seem odd or different to people around us, then we are not being a good enough testimony for Jesus. And this can get, this has gotten very out of hand to where it's almost a point of pride. I know people who purposely avoided looking fashionable or having a nice haircut in order to cement their status as being immediately visibly recognizable everywhere they go as that's a religious person of some kind that's not a regular person. And if that doesn't scream cult, I don't know what it what does. Uh, it used to be that I think, you know, before my lifetime, people in the IFB interpreted this verse about being peculiar as I should dress well and I should try to fit in with society as long as it doesn't require me to sin in order to do so. And Jesus' light will shine through me because I will be a kind and a generous person and I will have a a smile on my face and be a pleasant person. And other people will eventually understand that I am different because I belong to Jesus. And that is what makes me such a happy and a good person, which is not that crazy. <laughs> but over this period of time, and as we as the IFB has moved into the 21st century, it has shifted to the understanding of that verse has shifted to it is God's will for me to be different from the world so that people can identify me as one of God's people. And if I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb in the world, if I'm not weird, then I am not doing enough for God. I mean, clearly you're not doing enough for God unless you're wearing a bedazzled denim skirt. (laughs) I wasn't allowed to bedazzle my denim skirts. No, that would be too worldly. Well, yes, exactly. A bump it and a bedazzled denim skirt. That's what you've got. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I feel like my next Halloween costume you know, is, is either going to be a handmade from Handmaid's Tale uh, or I'm going to drag out old IFP clothes. That's going to be That's funny. what you should do. Just dig up all your like ask your parents if they have all of your old wardrobe. I have some stuff here. Wear all of that. <laughs> I have a very few things like very few things that I have kept over the years just mostly for the laughs. 
the thing is that these IFB people are so insular that what happens is people don't have a real concept of what weirdness actually means. And I hope that I'm, I hope this is going to make sense to you. They understand that when non-IFB people see them, that they don't look like everyone else. They understand that they're visibly different from non-IFB people. But I think that there's a logic gap or an information gap. Like there's something that prevents them from understanding that they look creepy, not different. That they look off-putting, yeah. not different. Does that make sense? Like, they know they're different. They just don't know that they're weird. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. That makes total sense. It's almost like Uncanny Valley. It, yes, it very much is. Where it's like almost, it's it it's like so out of place. It's like, it's not like, because, you know, you see somebody who's dressed like, uh, you know, in Portland, you see lots of people dressed in extremely strange ways and you just kind of roll with it. But these yeah. people are like dressed in a way that's like, like approximating like normal dress, but like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So it is like uncanny Valley thing. Like it's, uh, it's a little bit yeah. alien and yeah. their behavior is that way as well. So this all kind of like, they, they think that they're being really, really friendly and really nice but society has shifted in ways that they don't understand since they entered the cult. So everything about them seems very robotic and just very strange. And this all kind of ties into what I was saying back at the very beginning of this episode about how these methods worked in the past, but they're just so far out of touch with reality of life after 1980. I think the average IFB person walks around in some kind of state of confusion because they've been told they're over and over and over and over again that this door knocking method is going to work and is going to make their church the next 10,000 member church like First Baptist Church of Hammond. And they're told that because they wear ankle length denim skirts or white button downs with pocket protectors, that people are just going to fall down at their feet and ask them how they can be saved. And this leads to anyone who is really sold out to the IFB feeling totally confused because they're doing everything they've been told to do, and they just can't figure out why it's not working. So, last episode we talked about how this door-to-door -door knocking, it's not actually meant to get new members. It's supposed to reinforce the current cult members' commitment. They're feeling that they do not belong in the outside world, almost as if by exposing them to the outside world in this very, you know, sort of confrontational way that it would build them an immunity to it, almost like you're vaccinating them against worldliness. But I want to take this a step further because from what I've seen and from what you've told me, the IFB that I've encountered on social media and, you know, from what I've observed, it doesn't just create people who are afraid of the outside world, afraid of not belonging. It creates people who have pure contempt, hatred for those living outside, that, you know, them being unsaved, that their eternity that they will spend in hell is deserved, that people who are 
bitterly resentful of their freedoms. And, you know, they seek to destroy and seek to dehumanize those outsiders. I mean, like who would take pride in looking unfashionable and looking like they don't fit in, like going on and on and on and on about how, oh, I don't care about, I don't care about fashion. I don't care about like, they're clearly just compensating for their own resentment, you know, like you know, like anybody who doesn't, do you know anyone who like doesn't care about sports, right? Yeah. But then like, if you bring up, like say you're talking some to somebody about like sports or something in their presence, they will just like loudly like go out of their way and they will remind you about how they don't care about sports. Like, and then they'll say stuff like sports ball, ha ha ha, like you know, like with that air of superiority, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. So like, that's not coming from when somebody does that, that's not coming from a place of security. That's not coming from a place of, oh, I'm not really interested in this, but that's you know, fine that you like it. That's coming from a place of like, I don't know, like maybe they weren't good at sports as a kid, or maybe they got beaten up by the jocks in high school and they me- never felt included. So they want to portray this thing as like them being intellectually superior than them not being interested in something like they see oh i'm smart i care about things of the mind and that's mutually exclusive with caring about you know things that are physical like things that depend on Mm -hmm. you know physical ability to do because they're like oh there's no uh there's no like honor i don't want to say no honor but there's no like uh, a, a true like value in that Right. The people who are, yeah, people who are secure in themselves and their value and in, in, to the world and their value as a person, if they don't like sports, they just don't like sports. Yeah. They just, uh, they're like, sorry, and, I, I don't, I, I don't follow it. One and minute. other people yeah. talk about sports and they're like, they'll mind their business. They, they just, you know, they don't feel right. They mind their business and they don't feel the need to try to put down other people about it. Right. And like it's, it, but that's very much like the air of superiority. I I feel like I know where you're coming from with the IFB because they, they're like, oh, fashion. Yes, yeah, see, I am, right. I am so religious and I am so close to God I'm that I don't that. even need to know what's in style. Yeah, yeah. And so, like it, it, the idea that there's, you know, something. This idea, you know, this idea that there's something that they aren't interested in. It's because that thing is low class. That thing is beneath them. Mm-hmm. And it's not because, and it's because it isn't important, not because, you know, I like not for any other reason, but like, imagine that, imagine instead of it just being like, I don't care about sports, imagine it being literally everything in your entire life, like who you can talk to, what you can wear, what you spend your time doing, what you read, what you do or don't watch, like what you even think about, like that's like that's the level to like the of animosity that we're talking about here that's like the the pervasiveness of it mm-hmm. and i don't agree with the idea that all ifb people feel that the worldly people deserve the eternity and hell that they're going to face i wouldn't say that they would either because i know that that's I not think true some do um but i think i think for most ifb people it's just reserved for the people who like somebody who throws a beer bottle in your parking lot or cusses you out when you're out soul winning like those are the people who deserve the eternity in hell but but um but most people they have a lot of they have a lot of compassion for most people who are not saved it's more like you know 
they feel very bad for that person, which of course leads very quickly to a superiority complex because you pity that person. But I don't think a lot of IFB people really despise worldly people. No. I do think that a lot of IFB people resent the freedoms that other people have. Um, I could not even guess how many IFB people would admit to having that feeling. Um, I do remember feeling like it really just was not fair that people got to just go around their whole life sinning. But if they got saved at 80, they would be good to go. But I had to try not to sin from like the time I was a kid. What I do very much agree with, with what you just said, is that all of this adds up to dehumanizing people who are not IFB. These promotions for the spring program, they're very juvenile and they're very carnival-esque and they're meant to appeal to grown adult people somehow or the concept of being saved as something that takes five minutes and you repeat a prayer after someone and you're good for all eternity. Like these con- the, the way that this is presented, it's really insulting to the intelligence of most average adults in the real world. I think that the IFB definitely do perceive outsiders as subhuman or as unintelligent or at least as blinded by the world. And if I'm honest with you, that feeling of superiority over outsiders was one of the hardest things to give up when I left. I imagine that it's similar for people who are raised in white supremacist circles that you can really get used to feeling like you have all the answers and feeling like you are superior to everybody else. And learning to live without that assurance is really, really hard. Yeah. Of course, every sort of cultish group or sort of in-group, out-group situation, be it a religious group, a political ideology or whatever, they are going to intentionally flatter whoever is in the group. They are going to say, oh, because you're in here, you're smarter, you're more godly, you're more upstanding, you are morally superior. And according to our ideology, everyone who isn't part of this in-group is promoting evil, and that gives you license to say whatever nasty thing you want to say to them. I think that being told that is like a very powerful drug, and I think it's really damaging to people. But I think that being born into that ideology is even more damaging. As, as I'm preparing for my baby to come, I've studied a little bit about how the first things that we learn affect us for life or, or something that we are told as a fact when we're very, very young. We can just buy into that fact. And if, if what we were told wasn't true, that can be a real issue later in life when we find out that so much of our psyche was built on something that was false. And from studying that and from my own experience, I really do think that when you're born into the IFB or or into any other similar cult or cult-like group, that it's a huge risk factor for having sort of an ego death when you leave. Like, I think there are two separate losses of identity when you leave a cult. You lose your external identity because you lose, like, the the dress code and the group of people around you and the schedule and the routines of your life. 
you lose all of that, but you also lose and there's an internal loss of identity, your internal, the way that you process the world. And it's, it's very devastating for some of us who have left the IFB. Okay. That makes perfect sense the way that you phrase that. Good. But uh, yeah, let me, let me ask you another question then. So what percentage of the bus kids do you think stayed on in the IFB? Of people that I know personally, and not all of these people were my bus kids. Some of these people, I just knew them peripherally. I think I know three or four bus kids who stayed IFB. I know a good few more than that who have stayed Christian. Um, quite a few former bus kids of mine are my Facebook friends now. And okay, yeah. So like from the so the people in the church though. So that's a low percentage though. Oh yeah, I've known literally hundreds of bus kids. Yeah, and I know I think three or four who stayed IFB. So the people from the church know that the chances of these bus kids staying IFB is pretty low. I mean, they do, but they don't. They know that the chances are bad, but they still believe in the system. Like, they believe in the way they do things. But subconsciously, they know. No. They view every single bus kid as this is the one that's going to make it. Wow. But, I I mean, but like, maybe, like, but does that last, though? Because I'm tr- I'm trying to imagine, like, if you've grown up in this church and you've grown up doing this and you see bus kids and bus kids and bus kids and bus kids and, like, one or two or three or four stay out of hundreds, like, th- th- that doesn't weigh on you and you don't get to thinking these kids aren't going to make it. I'm sure some of them have got to, start- have got to be thinking that. Well, you never give up thinking that every kid is going to stay you never give up thinking that every bus kid is going to or at least could end up going to Hiles Anderson and being some kind of great preacher I think what you're getting at though is is the concept of how exhausting that it is to keep that kind of belief up when you know logically that you're not believing in something that's true it really does wear you down after a lot of years and seeing it a lot of times Sometimes I have to think about how completely bitter and completely jaded I was by the time I was 16 or 17. And I think this is this is one reason that like being an IFB teenager, like this is this is the result of that because I was at 16 or 17, I was very innocent in a lot of ways. And I I didn't know a lot about certain aspects of life. I certainly didn't know all my cuss words. I didn't have my permit. I'd never been on public transportation. I'd never been in, in a Walmart by myself. Um, I had very little life experience outside the cult. But I had been in the crossfire of a gunfight. I'd seen people with needles sticking out of their arms out, bus calling and soul winning. And, you know, and, and, and this is 10 years after the first episode. This is 10 years after the story that I told in the first episode about having 14 people promise to come to church with me and none of them showing up. 10 years after that. And you're still going. 
Yeah. I was a bus worker. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was getting ready to go to Hiles Anderson myself. I was working for the church like, I don't even know what, 12 hours, 14 hours every weekend, maybe more than that. I don't even know. And I was completely burnt out on the concept. I was completely exhausted. I was physically showing signs of overwork and physical illness because of stress. Yeah. At like 16 or 17. And I, and I was just completely bitter. And I and I did get to a point of, of none of these kids are ever going to make it. And when I make it, I, I thought of like the IFB make it, you know, go to yeah. Bible college and be a preacher. Right. Okay. So th- see, this is, this is getting to the point that I'm getting at because after a while, you know, you've been told this thing that, you know, the thing that will help these kids the most is keeping them in the IFB that, but then these kids don't stay IFB. You might start to think, okay, there's just no helping these kids. And, you know, they're coming from rough backrooms, backgrounds, especially that is really dehumanizing. And so maybe in the minds of one or two of these people, so you have kids who are dehumanized, you have kids who are vulnerable. And, you know, if you're already, you know, if and we know that there's people who were working these bus routes who are already, you know, predisposed to be abusers to begin with. You know, mm-hmm. this seems to me like this is a lit powder keg right here. That's definitely true. I think this is this is one of the reasons why abusers fit in so well within this environment. And I think to tie that in with what I was just saying, there's there's a massive amount of self-brainwashing that is required to keep yourself in line. Because you've got to protect yourself. You've got to protect your own identity and your mind from this assault. Yeah. Right. There's so, like, this is so psychologically damaging in so many different ways that you have literally, you you have to be able to self-brainwash to keep yourself afloat. And they very blatantly teach you self-brainwashing techniques and techniques to control your thoughts and bring them in line with the party line of the cult. And that's the kind of thing that I was trying to do, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, when I had become completely jaded by 10 years working within the IFB. And I think this applies to what you were saying about abusers, because one thing that abusers often do is find some way to justify to themselves what they were doing. If you need proof of that, you can just read the Jack Scott court documents. Cause he had, he had found religious metaphors and religious wording to make himself feel okay with what he did to his victim. I think that this self brainwashing can combine with the dehumanization of the people that the IFB purports to want to serve and want to help. And when you combine that in most cases with a at least a little touch of racism and or sexism, this is just a perfect storm for someone who is even slightly predisposed to be an abuser. Yeah. 
And like, and you know, I mean, we talked about this before, how you had that friend who, or, or that guy that you knew who was just so terrible to work with because he had been treated so poorly by other people. You know, it's the sort of thing where a lot of people who are, I, I'm not necessarily talking about sexual abuse here, but I'm talking about like physical abuse, a lot of, or, or you know, emotional abuse, you know, uh, or just verbal abuse, stuff like that. A lot of these people, you know, if they were able to unpack their own damage and then they wouldn't have mm-hmm. to treat other people like that, or they wouldn't feel the need to treat other people like that. But the IFB isn't about that. Uh, the IFB isn't about any sort of, you know, mental or, or sort of healing in a real right, way. And you yeah. also don't have time. Um, no. I will tell you from my own personal Just experience. Just pressure, 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 pressure. Right. My, I did not start getting myself mentally healthy until I had been out of the IFB for a long time and was I had time. Because having hours to think and process and having time to spend in a therapist's office and then to spend doing homework that my therapist gave me and reading books and like there there was a lot of time involved in in starting to heal mentally from the IFB. So that's another reason I think that the people who are abused, they turn out become within the IFB, any any sort of abuse, they often end up becoming abusers because there is no time. They they are worked forever. Yeah. And there's no time to start healing as well. And it's such a shame because all of those people, they could have just been, you know, good normal people. Um, and then they ended up, you know, through bad circumstances, they ended up being, you know, turned into something just monstrous. But of course, you know what the final stage of abuse is. What's that? It's the cover up, you know, because mm-hmm. we all know that the IFB is notorious for never holding people accountable. Um, so like your chances of meeting somebody who is an abuser are like extremely high. And so they can just be repeat abusers. I, I really love that we got into this because it is not random that there are so many abusers within the IFB. It is not a coincidence that there are so many stories of all kinds of abuse, of physical, sexual, emotional, verbal, financial abuse, spiritual abuse, any kind of abuse that you can possibly imagine. And it's oversimplistic to say that the IFB just attracts bad apples because this is not a bad apple situation. This is a systemic abuse situation. This is a system that empowers and breeds and covers for abusers. Well, this went off track at the end. (laughs) It did a little bit, didn't it? But that's on brand for us. (laughs) No, I feel like we got really to the meat of something. No, and, and I think that's what we do. That's what we do. Because there are topics that we talk about within, you know, IFB cultural topics, but those topics give us a springboard into the, the the actual framework of why this is the way it is. I'm 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 so glad that we took the time to deep dive into this spring program thing because it was such a, a great framework to give context to a lot of details about the IFB that aren't big enough to have their own episode. And also we got to talk about the goldfish thing. Yeah, my question is, do you have a hard time stacking on goldfish crackers now? No, I just don't like them that much. You don't like goldfish crackers? No, not like really. Like Pepperidge Farm goldfish. Oh, man. 
No, like goldfish crackers are the best part of any trail mix. I don't like trail mix either. Um, uh, so I have to separate trail mix into its individual components before I can eat it. And this is not because of the IFB because I've been doing this since I was a kid. I have to separate it into each individual component and then I have to eat each type of thing in the mix in a specific order accounting for the numbers of each thing. So if I have 12 peanuts and four dry banana slices in my hand, that's a different order that I have to eat it in than if I had seven peanuts and four banana slices and then like M&Ms like totally throw it off and and there's like a very specific order. Why would you do this? Like if you're separating everything, you might as well just only bring chocolate chips. Would you believe that I do not have clinical OCD? <laughs> no, um, no, I, I just don't eat trail mix. It's not worth it. And I know I, how I much therapy you've been to. So if you had it, then they would know. No, I actually do not have clinical OCD, believe it or not, after that. Yeah. No, I just, I, I just, I avoid trail mix because it's not worth the hassle See, because I, I can't. I have to separate it out. I cannot eat it unless I separate it out. So I just don't eat trail mix. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting that all of my childhood vacations were like hiking and nature centric. So like trail mix was always happening. My parents wouldn't buy trail mix because it was too expensive. No, you don't buy trail mix. That's an absolute waste of money. You get the individual ingredients and then you make it yourself so you can have your own special trail mix recipe. Yeah, but my parents wouldn't also not buy nuts because nuts are too expensive. Oh, man. Okay. No, like on road trips, I would just snack on a big bag of roasted almonds from Trader Joe's. Oh, Richie Rich with your road trip snacks. (laughs) We got saltines if we were lucky. I suppose saltines are great, though, because they keep you from talking for like five minutes after you eat them. (laughs) Well, actually, my parents just wouldn't give us water on road trips so they could go longer between bathroom stops. Ah! No, we all still love my parents. (laughs) That is too funny. Yeah. Anyway, okay. I'm sorry. We've got to end this episode here. Uh, <laughs> well, we talked about we talked about goldfish. We talked about the other kind of goldfish. We talked about the good really- kind. The kind that. Uh, uh, do you remember that episode of Trailer Park Boys where Ricky has the goldfish named Orangey? Gold- it- Orangey. That's right. But it keeps dying, and so they. <laughs> yes. Keep- well, he the- keeps giving it shots. Yes. Okay. Do you want to know the worst thing about a goldfish, though, is that goldfish are actually actually supposed to be like really big, but they're always small when you get Aww. them in a bowl because they're malnourished. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. We had goldfish. Oh, here's the ending to this episode. I just remembered the ending to this episode. Um, my brothers and I had had bus goldfish that survived. Um, it was always a contest of like, how long can you keep your bus goldfish alive? Because most of them would die within like a couple days. But we had bus goldfish that survived for like, I think over a year, which was like like the second most I've ever heard of. How big did they get? They didn't get much bigger because we had them in a small bowl. Oh, okay. But we did feed them. And the goldfish, we, we named them Picard and Janeway. Oh, so from Star Trek. Yes. And they they survived for quite a while, and then when they finally died, we had funerals for both of them. Well, that is sweet. But they and were that good goldfish. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's the happy ending to this. That's long the happy ending to this episode. episode. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with us, if you want to send us emails, you know we've been getting emails from you guys. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate getting messages from you guys. Uh, 
But if you want to send us messages, uh, you can send us messages at leavingedenpod at gmail.com or, you know, over social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Instagram is Leaving Eden Podcast. Twitter is at Leaving Eden Pod. Uh, Sadie, do you want to plug your social media real quick? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Yeah, and uh, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Um, yeah, give me a follow. Uh, come talk to me. I'll have a good time. And until next time, I uh, hope that you guys all have a good day. Bye bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.